Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Warren Evans. And I'm Virginia Allen. Virginia, we have such a great show with some really impressive women to get to. But before we get into it, I have a teen Vogue alert. I feel like we need a sound. (laughs) And this might turn into a Lauren rant. (laughs) We definitely need a sound for teen Vogue, like a buzzer or something that goes off. Red flashing lights. (laughs) Or even if it's just like a womp womp. (laughs) so if you're a regular listener of the show you know that we are not fans of the magazine teen vogue whether they're trying to gaslight young women to believe that abortion is okay justifying extramarital affairs and even sexualizing young children through trans activism really it's not okay and as cities across the u.s are being looted and burned by rioters and notice i said rioters not protesters Police officers and other innocent people are being injured and killed on the streets, a lot of damage believed to be caused by Antifa activists. And during all of this, Teen Vogue thinks it's appropriate to tweet this, quote, Antifa grows out of a larger revolutionary politics that aspires towards creating a better world, but the primary motivation is to stop racists from organizing. Attached to the tweet is this article, Antifa History and Politics Explained. It's not even the first time they've tweeted this article lately. It's the fifth. They tweeted it on June 1st, April 14th, December 31st, Virginia for a little Christmas fun on December 25th, (laughs) then in 2018 on April 23rd, and finally, originally on October 26th. The article is an interview with historian Mark Bray, an author of Antifa, the Anti-Fascist Handbook, and in his own Twitter bio says, quote, he translates anarchy. He also wrote this week in the New York Times, what is Antifa, the movement Trump wants to declare a terror group. I want to start the show and flag this because it's important where you're getting your information. And if you're a parent or a role model to kids or or young women, especially, it's important where they're getting their information. And, And Teen Vogue is trying to normalize Antifa in a time where we really need unity. And And I think this is one place where we can unite around that Antifa is not good for our society. Lauren, you know, I think the one of the biggest problems that I have many problems with Antifa, but one of the biggest is this lie that we can fight hate with hate, essentially. Antifa uses violence. They use vulgar language and that really messed up thinking that, okay, you know, if we can be really, really forceful and blatantly uh, mean, violent, cruel against those who we see harming others, that's somehow going to fix the situation. And that's just a a blatant lie. And it's a really, really uh, deep and dark rabbit hole to fall down. Virginia, I love that. So I want to challenge our listeners before we even get into the show, just really take time today and love on one another. Love on your friends, love on your family, because we all need that so desperately. And, and you know, that just that's the opposite of what Antifa wants us to do. Yeah. All right. Well, Lauren, we have, like you say, we have an awesome lineup today. What do we have planned for today's show? Up on today's Problematic Woman, we talk with Dina and Dee Dee Bass about the killing of George Floyd and how we can respond in a way that will actually bring about positive change in America. Plus, we talk with Heritage Foundation President Kay Coles-James, and personal hero, about her own experience living through the civil rights movement. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. 
Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. We are joined by Kay Coles-James, the president of the Heritage Foundation, founder of the Gloucester Institute, author, wife, mother, and our favorite problematic woman, Mrs. James. Thanks so much for being here today. It is my absolute pleasure. Well, you have had one of my favorite podcasts, and I don't say that in any gratuitous way. (laughs) Mrs. James, thank you so much. That is so incredibly kind of you to say. We're going to have to put that in quotes and maybe put it up (laughs) on a wall somewhere. (laughs) Well, you have had a very busy few days celebrating your birthday on Monday, chairing the National Coronavirus Recovery Commission meeting Tuesday, and then the Women's Suffrage Centennial Commission meeting Wednesday, and all while still leading the Heritage Foundation. Mrs. James, how do you do it all? (laughs) Well, I do it by having a great breakfast every morning, (laughs) um, having a time of meditation and prayer keeping up with geriatric yoga, and uh, it keeps me going. (laughs) I love that. You know, we all have to have our our ways to really relax and unwind. So, Mrs. James, this this week, Axios ran the headline, Coronavirus is Old News. And yet, the virus is still here, people are still suffering, and many businesses are still closed. You're getting ready to release the final report of the National Coronavirus Recovery Commission with more than 250 recommendations. Why are you so passionate about this issue and what can we expect from the commission's report? Well, I'm passionate about it because this virus has attacked our country in two ways. First and foremost, with the loss of lives uh, and the health impact that it's had on so many and also with the loss of many livelihoods. If this country stays shut down too much longer, um, the impact that it would have, the long-term impact that it would have on our economy would be devastating. And so I'm passionate because I love this country and I don't want to see a virus or anything else destroy her. And so we work, and so we work long, and so we work hard. Um, And I am so pleased with all the uh, individuals from the Heritage Foundation and those individuals who are on the commission who have put in more hours than I can even imagine to get this done in a timely way so that it would be helpful uh, to the president and Congress and governors and mayors all across this country. Mrs. James, we're so thankful for all of the work that you're doing and the Heritage Foundation is doing on the commission. It really uh, is just so inspirational to see. Now, I I do want to shift for just uh, a minute and and let's discuss what's going on today, right now, where it's such a pivotal moment in America's history as we grieve the loss of George Floyd. And we ask ourselves some really difficult questions about racism in America. You've put forward a call to action for Americans and conservatives in particular to really step up right now. 
how can we each make a difference? You know, I have. And one of the reasons that I have is because (laughs) for years, not just in the last few days, but for years, I have said that the answers to poverty, the answers to an, uh, an unequal educational system in our country, the answer to access to health care, the answer to protecting our borders, all of those answers reside within the conservative movement. And when I look at those protesters that are on the street, um, you know, I just, I just want to shout at them that if you would take a minute and stop and listen to the voices coming from the conservative side of the aisle, we have real answers. They're not pandering answers. We don't pander and we don't do identity politics and we don't shape a message just to get a vote. We have real answers for real problems. And I think that's why it's so important to me that at this moment, At this moment in our country's history, conservatives step up and say, yes, I see the problem. I am understanding it, perhaps in even new and different ways than I ever have before. And I want to walk with those individuals who love America, are willing to lay down their lives for this country. I mean, we do. We love this nation. And in spite of what some people think, pointing out that there are things that we need to fix in this country is not the same as equating that this country is a racist nation. It is not. I have never said it. I will, I, I, I will never say it. I believe that the founders gave us a gift a gift of a form of government that allows us to work through our problems, to fix them. No other country on the earth, none, is as exceptional as this nation. And what we need to understand is that to point out our flaws and say, let's together fix them, does not mean we hate America or we distrust uh, our leaders uh, or that we, we are not supportive of our institutions. And that's why I'm so passionate about this. I believe that we as conservatives have the keys to all of the issues that are so important to those people out on the street, and we have to step up and tell them, guide them, lead them. It reminds me of when I used to say years ago that I believe that pro-life women should lead the feminist movement because we are more feminist than the so-called feminist leaders. We actually believe that we don't have to mutilate our bodies or kill our babies in order to be equal to any man. Today, I feel like conservatives should be leading the civil rights movement. We're the only ones who really do understand individual liberty and freedom and equality. We shouldn't shy away from it. It's our movement to lead. Wow. Wow, I have goosebumps. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You wrote in an op-ed for Fox that 
quote, during my 70 years on this earth, I have lived through the civil rights movement. I have seen the highs and lows of this country. I have seen America's goodness and I've seen its hatred. Can you tell us about your own personal experience as part of the civil rights movement? Ah, uh, yes. Oliver Hill was a great civil rights attorney and he was my cousin. I've seen him have crosses burned on his lawn. I personally integrated the schools in the South and had to walk past angry mobs yelling names at me as we tried to get equal access to education. I know what it's like, even today, to have a grandson and a granddaughter. Incidentally, both of, both of my kids in Northern Virginia have experienced racial slurs at school and had to come home and ask what they meant. And I fought hard so that my grandchildren would not have to experience that. And for anybody, anybody who wants to say that there is not racism in America today, all they have to do is scroll through some of the comment section on Facebook posts and Twitters, and it's there. It's there. So we, you know, we have to stand against that as conservatives. We have the moral authority to stand against that as conservatives. And at the same time, not blink an eye about our love and our commitment to this nation. The two are not mutually exclusive. I don't know why so many people have a hard time with that. I explained it to a friend recently by saying, you know, I am a mama bear. I love my children and my grandchildren with a passion equal to any mom or grandmom on the planet. But dadgummit, I do have to correct them. <laughs> I do have to tell them when they are doing things wrong. And it's not in spite of the fact that I love them, it's because I love them that I want to shape them to greatness. It is my love and my passion for this country that compels me to want to see the American ideal achieved, to see what the founders, when they sat in those hot crowded rooms and drafted our documents, and they had a vision for what a great country could look like. And it's my duty as an American to live every day to make that dream a reality for all of us. Wow. <laughs> Thank you, Mrs. James. Well, and I mean, like, like you mentioned, tragically, we are seeing that racism, it is still an issue in America today in our country that we love so dearly. How are you personally processing the death of George Floyd? You know, um, the video is, is uh, I, I didn't watch it for a very long time. I knew it would take me to an emotional place that I just didn't want to go. And as a result of that, I stood shielded from it for a while. But then I decided I owed it to his family and to his legacy to actually watch it. I couldn't close my eyes and stick my head in the sand. And I think what people are missing is that 
whatever the individual circumstances in this case, it was, in fact, a tipping point for many Americans. Mm -hmm. And I think we'll know more, we'll learn more, we'll see that. But, you know, for me, I, I understand the anger, I understand the frustration, I understand that there are those individuals who want to take advantage of that for their own personal gain and for their own personal causes. I am convinced that what we see happening on the streets in our country today as people are burning and looting and, and maiming, that has nothing to do with the untimely death on the streets of Minneapolis of that black man with four officers standing nearby. The, the, the two are almost disconnected. But we know that there are those individuals who want chaos, who want to see race wars in this country, and they're using it to their advantage. More often than not, the peaceful protesters have gone home by the time that sort of behavior erupts. We have to stand against that. It does no good. It does not help the cause one bit. And I think every thoughtful person in America, if they could, would stand between those looters, would stand between those who want to bring chaos and destruction and push them back, hold them back. I, I, I would love to go out there <laughs> if I could and say, You're, we know who you are. We see you. You want to destroy America. We want to build her up. The death of that gentleman and the, the rioting and the what's going on are, are so separate, such distinct and different issues. It's opportunistic blacks and opportunistic whites who have taken to the street to use it. But do not, do not miss that even with those individuals out there trying to take the focus away from the real issues, that there are real issues that need to be dealt with, but not that way. Mrs. James, you know, there is so much hurt, and, and you watch these protests, and when you're speaking to your children and you're speaking to your grandchildren, you know, how, how do you even begin to address this issue, and then what is their response about this moment in history? <laughs> well, let's start the conversation with, I tell them, if I ever see you doing something like that, I will personally come there and yank you off those streets. <laughs> That's the first thing. And I want to teach them the history of how we bring about change in this country. I want to teach them about the systems that the founders have put in place in order to address grievances. In terms of, in terms of the process, I mean, let's be clear. You know, those who are yelling, no justice, no peace, could we give justice an opportunity to work? So I want to teach my kids and I want to teach my grandchildren how you bring about social change, how you bring about justice. You know, I, people, people talk about protests all the time. What is it every January 22nd when we march down the street? to protest abortion in America. Peaceful protest 
is as American as apple pie. I have no problem with that. I have a huge problem with those individuals who want to usurp peaceful protests to destroy my country and my communities. We need to figure out how to shut them down, lock them up, and treat them as the criminals they are. And, you know, somebody said uh, on one of these platforms the other day, oh, you're just doing damage control now. You never spoke like that before. I have always said that. That's not new. I have been saying it for 50 years. I said it when we were protesting back in the 60s. Violence and criminal behavior should never be tolerated. What is so hard to understand about that? Yeah. Mrs. James, many African Americans in this country have said that they feel extremely nervous around police, especially when it comes to being stopped when driving. A few years ago, Senator Tim Scott said that he was stopped while driving several times in just one year. Did you have experiences in your own or your family's life related to this? Oh, my gosh, yes. Oh, my word. Uh, I, you know, I, I think people feel that because as a black conservative, I don't wear race on my sleeve, and I often don't even talk about it. There, there are other issues that have been a priority, life issues, uh, protecting uh, our country's national defense. I am upset about the debt, and and I mean, race is on the issue is on my list, but I don't often talk about it. And the moment I do, it makes them nervous. But by golly, my son and my daughter were visiting a white friend, driving through a neighborhood, and were reported by the police and stopped and taken out of the car placing their hands on the hood of a car and questioned as to why they were there. We don't make this stuff up. It's real and it happens. And I should add that years later, out of a sense of irony, our family moved into that neighborhood and found many wonderful people there as neighbors whom we love dearly. So both are true. Both are true. Mrs. James, many conservatives are fearful of discussing and tackling racism. And, you know, I, I think the left kind of invades that, that space since, since conservatives are fearful about even talking about it because of the thought and the word policing. So what is helpful and what's not helpful for people to say? And what resources would you recommend conservatives turn to to have these conversations? <laughs> the first resource I would recommend is the uh, Holy Scriptures. There's more guidance there about how we should treat each other than anywhere else, and it's a good guide, by the way. The other thing I would say is that I have been told in recent days, Kay, you shouldn't talk about these things. It plays into the left's narrative. And my response is, it's only their narrative because we gave it to them. It should be our narrative take it back, make it our narrative. We as a party stand for all the right things, uh, the, 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 the movement, the conservative movement. 
And so don't hesitate to engage in these conversations. They belong to us. They don't belong on the left. And the other thing that I would say is that talking about race, and I said this to several of my white friends one night when we were sitting around having a great conversation, and the conversation turned to race. And I said, could we please talk about movies or books or or almost anything, because that conversation is so extremely painful. And it's painful to both sides. And, you know, as human beings, we typically avoid pain. But sometimes you've got to pull the scab off so the wound can heal. And so sometimes we've got to have those difficult and painful conversations. And I am grateful grateful for my my friends who over the years have allowed me to process all of this, who stood beside me, who are my brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, I, I, I am grateful for their friendship and for they have listened and learned. And they said, I, I don't see what you see. I have not walked in your shoes, but I want to know and I want to understand. And so one of the first things that I would say is, you know, please don't shut us down and say, I don't want to hear about race anymore. Please don't shut us down and say, I don't believe that there is a problem today anymore. Listen, listen so that we together can heal. I've lived long enough that I know, and I listen to some of these young folks out there, they don't understand how far we've come. They can't celebrate our victories because I lived through the segregated water fountains and the segregated lunch counters, the segregated schools. I lived through that movement and I can see the progress. I, I, I thankfully have lived long enough to see that, that the America that I love provided a means and a pathway forward. But I am also not blind to what exists today. And it's okay to talk about it. And when you do, it doesn't mean that you hate America. It means that you celebrate who we are as Americans and the gift that we've been given. Mrs. James, thank you so much for your time. We really, really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for tackling this difficult, difficult issue. All right, we're going to take a quick break because I want to tell you all about a great way to learn something while you're home during COVID-19. The Heritage Foundation is offering webinars multiple times a week on topics ranging from the economy to the pro-life movement during the coronavirus. And every single webinar is free. Visit the Heritage Foundation website and click on the events page to sign up. And man, I am so excited. We've had so many good events so far and they just keep coming. So be sure to check them out. All right, let's get back to the show. As a nation, we are grieving over the injustice of George Floyd's death. Floyd was killed on Monday, May 25th, when a police officer arrested Floyd and proceeded to press his knee into Floyd's neck for over eight minutes while he lay handcuffed on the pavement. Floyd told the officer he could not breathe 
but neither the arresting officer nor the other three officers present did anything. Now, I am asking, and I think most Americans are asking the question, how do we move forward and make sure that this does not happen again? How do we actually defeat racism in our nation once and for all? And to help us answer that question, I am so pleased to welcome to the show sisters Dina Bass-Williams and Didi Bass-Wilbon, co-founders of Bass Public Affairs. Dina and Didi, thank you all so much for being here. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, much for having us. <laughs> and we're not twins, Virginia, but we, we sometimes when we're answering, yeah, we sound like parents. We sound like parents, but we're we're that not was, twins. I'm the oldest. Dee Dee's the oldest. <laughs> <laughs> that was perfect. Right in sync. I love that. Well, so we are we are breaking down uh, this pretty weighty topic this week. George Floyd was killed a week and a half ago. People all across America are asking that question of how do we make sure that this doesn't happen again? Can we begin just by you all sharing some of uh, your thoughts and what that that first response was for you all when you first learned of George Floyd's death? You know, Virginia, this is Dina, and I still have not. Um, I still have not watched the video. I've seen obviously still shots of it on Facebook. And even as you described it again in that intro, it's painful to to even hear it. And and people keep telling me that I should watch it. I need to see it. But at this point, like I, I, I doubt if I'll ever watch it. I just I, um, the idea of, you know, eight minutes, nine minutes um, watching a man uh, literally lose his life and the inability to breathe, that is too much for me. So I haven't, I haven't even watched it. Um, the pain um, of that his family is going through, the pain that this uh, nation is going through as we talk about that very act is, um, is, is a bit too much. And as a mom, this is Didi, as a mom of an 18 year old uh, black son, it is, makes my heart just cringe. Um, I actually have not watched it either. I've seen passing by the TV. I've seen it, um, but I quickly turn the channel or turn my head simply because the thought of it, and when I think of nine, eight or nine minutes, uh, that is just unbelievable. And it makes me sad. And it, it, it makes me sad. It makes me hug my son very tight it makes me want to hug other little boys really tight. Um, I can't believe that, you know, there were people there watching, videotaping, other officers there while this man lost his life. And I can't even imagine what his mother is going through, what his family's going through, what his, uh, I just can't, his brother, I can't imagine. And my heart, my prayers go out to them because it was just unbelievable. Yeah. And Didi, I, I do want to ask you, you raised a really, really powerful point last week in a Daily Signal article um, that quoted you speaking about just the importance of valuing life and that you know, as Christians and conservatives, we're so, we're so quick to fight for the life of the unborn as we should, as you know, is such a, a dear and near passion to our hearts. But you would like to see that same passion and that same fight for the lives of black men. Can you expound upon this a little bit further? 
I would. Um, as a as a black mom, as a mom of a black son, you know, life is so precious and fragile. And 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 we teach our children, we teach our family. You know, I just was telling my kids yesterday. Um, they had a little bit of a intense fellowship. We don't like to say fight, but a little bit of an intense fellowship and argument. <laughs> My son was leaving out the house to go for a walk and and his sister was washing the dishes and I was like, No, you guys can't separate with him going out and you and, and kind of this, you know, upsetness. You have to hug each other and say I love you before you you part or whatever. You can't you can't ever leave angry. And so um in the conservative movement, we are the champions of life and and we have to continue to be the champions of life and teaching our children the same thing. And so it is very, very important um, that we continue to do that on a daily basis, that, um, you know, that's just who we are. And so it's very important um, that we don't forget that and that we continue to wrap ourselves in that and be those types of people, champions of life of all life and George Floyd, um, what he went through, that's not, um, that's something that should not have happened and should never, ever, ever happen again to anyone. Yeah. Dina, I want to read um, a quote that was in that Daily Signal article that I referenced last week that you said, said, I quote, really crave more outrage and more unified disgust in general, not just about George Floyd, but about police brutality against black men from the white evangelical and conservative community. This really struck me and I found this statement really, really powerful. Um, can you just expand upon that for a moment? Absolutely. We, you know, Didi and I come to the conservative movement and and even to the Republican Party, understanding that both conservatives and Republicans are two different things. But we come to the conservative movement largely because of our faith. And we have walked alongside men and women in the evangelical community, our white brothers and sisters who um, who uh, we believe it's important for them to also be very vocal about what we see as um, some challenges in police forces across the country. Now, does that mean that all police forces are bad and that all police officers are bad? Absolutely not. This world would be, um, we don't know what America would be like without um, the law enforcement officials who protect us every single day. But what we do keep seeing is, and largely because we all have, you know, um, a studio uh, recording device in our pockets every day, but we keep, you know, we continue to see images of mostly African American men uh, in these in these very desperate positions with with police officers, and we would love to see the evangelical community. And we've been we we've been seeing it a little bit more lately in the in this last um, in this last week. But just to stand up and to and and you know the body of Christ just to stand up and say, like Didi said, we value life. We value the lives of these um, communities that seem to be uh, uh, stressed in this way. We value life, and we we stand with you. And it's important that I, you know, that I say this also, that um, it's, it's for black people to stand up. It's for white people to stand up, but really um, 
because Didi and I are, you know, we'll say it, Bible believing, mm-hmm. evangelical Amen. followers of Jesus <laughs> the Christ, we want the body of Christ to stand up. Right. And that means um, both black people and white people who love Jesus. We want them, you know, our community to stand up locked in arms to say that this is wrong and this has to stop. Right. Yeah, no, I, I just feel like you say that so succinctly and so powerful. Um, and that's really like the message that we need to be speaking out right now. Um, so I do, I want to ask you all, do you, at the end of the day, do you feel like racism really is still an active problem in America? And if so, how do we actually go about defeating it once and for all? You know, we, um, I think Dee has something to say as well. We both always have um, comments on these topics, right? But um, we actually look to um, leaders like your president, you know, Kay Coles James, who is a phenomenal force in terms of bringing people together. Um, I, we love Heritage's uh, True North mm-hmm. under under Mrs. James. You know this um, this focus on true values in the conservative movement. And so, what do we? So, is there is there a race problem in America? Absolutely. How do we solve that race problem in America? I've, something that Mrs. James said recently in one of her um, op-eds about actually having people come together, sit down, having having tough conversations, but uh, but recognizing that this is the greatest nation mm-hmm. that ever existed. God has blessed this nation, and and so um, yes, we have we have challenges. We is there a race problem? Look at the healthcare disparities, the um, food deserts, the um, educational disparities in America. Those are problems, but we have we have we are moving towards a more perfect union, and um, and so we've overcome challenges in America, and we will overcome this. And I say, Virginia, that we will definitely overcome it um, with prayer. I know that many people will be like, okay, so we just sit and pray. And my answer to that is yes. <laughs> yes, we do. We sit and we pray and we continue to pray. And and I say that because I know I've seen it. I live it every day. Prayer changes things. It changes people. It changes situations. And we have to continue to pray um, that it, 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 and I te- we teach our children, we teach our family. Dean and I, we come from a family. We come from a group of people who we get on our knees and we stay on our knees and we pray. And I was speaking with my husband. I was like, well, should we, should there be more police training? Should they do something different with the training? And as I'm asking him that question, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, they, their needs, I don't know what they do in the police trainings, but, and I don't know if they pray, but they need to pray. Our hearts need to be changed. That's how we get over this. Hearts need to be changed. It's a heart condition. Amen. Amen. Well, and you all, you mentioned that, you know, actually kind of sitting down and having those honest conversations. And I think, you know, that's something that is so critically important and that others are saying, Mrs. James, Sophia Nelson, they're talking about, and we need to start a productive conversation. And I want to ask you all how, I mean, first off, kind of how do we do that? But then beyond that, how do we keep that conversation going and actually keep it productive? You know, 
It's interesting. I have had many people on Facebook and, and even, you know, this morning, bright and early, one of my uh, girlfriends who happens to be white reached out. I think uh, people are this, we've, we've seen these cycles of, you know, Eric Garner, uh, we've seen these cycles of police brutality and unrest. I, I do in my heart believe that this has that, George Floyd's death has struck a um, a, a blow yeah. in America mm-hmm. that will make us have these conversations more often, and that will and and they will lead to solutions. And that's something that we learned from Mrs. James as well. She believes in being a solutionist. If you know, don't come to the table just complaining, but come to the table with legitimate solutions. Absolutely. And so we do believe that um, that because of the heightened uh, tension in America right now because of the desire to to create real solutions on the left and the right. You know, um, there are different, very different policies, but a, a, a real desire to actually have a conversation um, and to create solutions. I may be a Pollyanna and too naive, but I do believe that from this, we will um, create more opportunities for people like Didi said to have a change hearts and mind. And, and, and quite frankly, there are more people praying now, like people who haven't prayed in a long time for this country are on their knees um, praying. And, and that alone, I believe will create change. And I think that needs to continue. I also think that people that we don't need to be afraid or nervous or, or, or embarrassed to admit that these things that are happening, that they're wrong. Um, And we need to be open with each other and just transparent, knowing that, you know, okay, this is happening in our world. There is a black and a white issue. Let's just sit down and, 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 and talk about it and be very honest and open and transparent about it and not hold anything back. And knowing that people are going to be hurt and angry, but you can be hurt and angry and not destroy destroy people's property. property. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. One of your colleagues and one of our good friends, Greg Scott, has a um, post on his Facebook page that I just keep going back to, and it's so it's this, it's basically like this Venn diagram, and it shows that there are different points of view, but we can we can have very different points of view, but all be in the same place. So we can, we can believe that George Floyd's death was murder and um, the cops responsible should go to jail. We can all believe them, all of them. We can believe that the police system is structurally corrupt and um, regularly refuses to prosecute cops. We can also believe that looting and burning businesses is immoral and counterproductive. And we can also believe that mass protests and civic unrest are legitimate, are legitimate forms. Of, so action. we can believe that George Floyd that what happened to him was absolutely 100% wrong as it was. And we can also believe that people have the right to peacefully protest peacefully to peacefully protest. And so that there is no conflict in that. Right. And so I think that if, if we, if we, as we're having these conversations, if we can just sit down and, and like leave our politics at the door, leave our, um, preconceived notions about what who people are and what people are at the door, and just have real conversations about human beings and life. And and Didi started off with it, but that's where we, you know, we believe that human rights begin in the womb. And if we believe that that this life is important, 
in the womb, then it's important when it's outside of the womb and it's important from that moment until it's until until the Lord decides to that take to, them home to, to bring them home. And if we value that person from the very beginning and their their ability to um, be productive and live their thoughts, their ideas, who they are, as different as they may be from us, if we value life from the beginning, then a lot these, of these a lot of these situations we we will we won't see ourselves in these situations and like i said it is a it's a heart condition we need to change our hearts we need to understand like you know saying we everyone is different we're going to have our different views but we need to cool our heads we need to just come to the table leave everything at the door politics preconceived notions no agendas but the only agenda is to come to the table and to make sure that every life is valued, every, and, you know, mm-hmm. and and once we do that, we will we won't go through these situations. And again, and I'll go back to it. And I know people that are going to listen or read this and say, "Okay, she keeps talking about prayer." Yes, I'm going to keep talking <laughs> about prayer because when we get to that table, we need to hold hands and pray. We Period. need to get on our knees and pray, genuinely pray, and. And Virginia, I believe it from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. Prayer, I live it every day. It changes things. It prayer. changes people. Absolutely. Prayer. And yeah, it does. It changes things. And, and you know, we think that obviously that there are, um, that there's public policy and that there are, you know, we need to vote and we need to be engaged. Um, but with the Bass sisters, like we want to be all smart and say the, you know, the, you know, the policy that's going to work. And right. That's great. But I'm going to tell you, hey, you can give us every great policy. But the only thing that we know is that the Lord that we serve listens to our prayers and we need to be praying. And he listens to everyone. Now, I love how simply I feel like you all have boiled this down that, you know, we're, we are kind of looking, I think, you know, for me, I felt a little bit just boggled down with like, oh, this feels hard and you're kind of, you know, moving forward. And how do we actually go about this? But in so many ways, you're right. It kind of boils down to one, I'm going to value life at every stage of life. And two, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to encourage other people to join me in that. That It's so simplistic, but yet I feel like, yeah, it's like you can really, uh, those are the most powerful tools to actually going about uh, solving these huge, huge issues that we're facing. Absolutely. Didi, I do just want to ask you, you've talked quite a bit about being a mom. Uh, what are those conversations that you're having with your kids right now? I am allowing them to feel comfortable and coming and asking questions, allowing them to be sad and, and, and angry if that's the space that they're in. Um, I'm happy that they have not asked me if they could actually go out and protest uh, for a couple of reasons, just because of the COVID-19 and the safety of all of that. Um, But just telling them that, you know, there are good officers and, you know, they're bad officers and that we have to follow the law all the time. And, and that, you know, we have to, to always, treat others as we would like to be treated and and that we always have to be um everyone is going through something everyone 
Dean and I like to say everyone has their own stuff. And so knowing that our situations and what we're going through, the person that we're interacting with, they're going through things as well. And again, just treating people the way we would like to be treated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I am not a mother, but I call myself a pink professional aunt, no kids. So <laughs> <laughs> with my 18 year old nephew, when he, when he got his first cell phone, he was 10 and, mm-hmm. and, and now at the age of 18, he knows I type, if I text him two words, America is, he knows that he has to text me back number one. And so like we have this thing like, and, and I can <laughs> and text him like, doing that since he, since was, he 10. was 10 and I can text him right now. America is, and then he will text me number one. And that is something that we, like, we don't waver on that. We do, we, we do recognize that there are spaces for us to, to, to move our nation towards being a more perfect union. And every day, every generation does that. My mom and I, my mom had me and Didi working on our first campaign when Didi was 12 and I was 11, because she's the oldest. When Didi was 12 and I was 11, we, we actually lit dropped and, and marched and knocked on doors. uh, And we elected the first black woman to the city council in our hometown who happened to be a Republican. And so in the same way, Didi also, you know, this, um, past cycle, she had the kids out doing, uh, you know, campaigning for DJ Jordan and and doing other things in the community. So we we also want to make sure that they recognize that this is their country. They have a stake in it. They when it's time for them to vote, they will vote every election. Dog catcher, they're going to vote. They but they also understand that this nation is great. Period. This nation is bent towards. Um, justice and equality period so even in this in the middle of this dark season that we're in right now we know 100 percent that america will prevail that americans will prevail right and and that i do virginia let them know that there is racism in the world because there's evil in the world and again i'm going back to that prayer thing (laughs) (laughs) but that we continue to pray And so, and they've been very engaged and and asking questions and wanting to know, you know, um, and and my son is driving now. And so in talking to him about, you know, if you're ever stopped by a police officer, what do you do and how do you respond? Um, And so we've had some very open and candid conversations and, and there, and I'm happy that they're engaged. I'm happy that they have their aunt and, and our family to talk to and to, and to, to go through what they're going through um, and to be engaged in it through their social media and sharing their thoughts. Of course, running things by me first before they're <laughs> posting anything. <laughs> but um, but just having that platform to be able to, to speak out and listening to them talk to their friends on the phone has been really just awesome because I enjoy knowing that they want to know and want to learn and want to make sure that this country continues to be the great country that they believe that it is. Wow. And I think that's the stance we all should have that willingness to continue to grow and to learn. Um, exactly. Thank you both. I feel like this has just been like an injection of hope. It's so good. Uh, I just really appreciate both of you just bringing your perspective and your wisdom. Thank you so much. Virginia. We appreciate it, Virginia. Thank you very much. We need standard bearers in Washington, D.C. I'm so proud to work at the Heritage Foundation, where our mission is to have sensible solutions to every issue that arises in this nation. 
the coronavirus is no exception. That's why the Heritage Foundation started the National Coronavirus Recovery Commission. The commission's goal is to save lives, but also the livelihood of millions of Americans impacted by this virus. To do this, the commission has released several recommendations to help our nation's leaders navigate us through this crisis and move toward a recovery. Log on to www.coronaviruscommission.com to track the commission's recommendations and to see what our recovery plan looks like. Again, that's www.coronaviruscommission.com. And now it's that time, my favorite time of the week, time to crown our Problematic Woman of the Week. And this week, the honor goes to... Kaycole's James. Few people walk through life with the grace and the passion that Mrs. James has. I want to just start off that, A, I just love that everyone at Heritage calls her Mrs. James because I think it shows both the respect that we have for her, but the way, you know, I think of it like I would call my teacher Mrs. whatever growing up because she's kind of like this matriarch of the Heritage Foundation and she just takes her life experiences and the hardships that she's been dealt with and just really plants them and lets them blossom. And and it's really benefited the organization, benefited our government, and benefited our country as a whole. Yeah, Lauren, I could not put it better. I'm so glad that we got to talk with Mrs. James today because, like you say, she has walked through some really, really challenging things. And right now, as a nation, we're facing a really challenging moment and a pivotal moment. And she just so precisely really broke down, okay, this is what we're looking at. How can we move forward together in unity? Uh, And I just, I love hearing her own journey. Uh, If you've not read her book, I will never forget. I really (laughs) encourage you to go get that book. I read it and was just blown away. It's amazing to read her life story and just that own personal journey that she's walked fighting racism and building up the conservative movement. So we are certainly so honored to have talked with Mrs. James today. All right. Well, before we go, Lauren, in my hand, I'm holding two different questions. There's one in my right hand and there's one in my left. Which question do you want me to ask you? The one in my right hand or the one in my left hand? I mean, you always have to go right. (laughs) (laughs) Good choice. Good choice. All right. So if you could go back in time and live the life of any historical character for one day, just one day, Mm. who would that be? Mm -mm -mm. You know, being the good Floridian that I am, (laughs) I think it would have to be like Henry Flagler, the train tycoon that really built out the state. And just kind of seeing, I've always wanted to see what old Florida would look like and, you know, kind of the natural beauty. I, I can't imagine that state without malls and air conditionings, but also kind of seeing, you know, how they started really building Florida to the infrastructure that it has today. 
That was a very, a very Florida response. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my second was going to be George Jenkins, the founder of Publix, but. <laughs> <laughs> so you could have all the cookies that you yeah, want all anytime the you want. <laughs> and the pups ups. <laughs> Virginia, what about you? So I feel like it would have to be someone for sure from like early colonial America just to kind of experience like what things were like at the very, very beginning of the country. And I don't know if this is maybe weird, but so fun fact, the first baby born in America was named Virginia. Her mm-hmm. name was Virginia Dare. And I'm like, it'd be kind of cool to go back and live a day in her shoes. Yeah. <laughs> Just like see from her eyes what she experienced and, you know, be totally normal to still respond to the name Virginia. So, <laughs> And I think too, it would allow us to recognize the comforts that we have. You know, I, I say that in my air conditioning room on my computer with fast internet that... Yeah. You know, they they just, they had a shelter and a fire. And, you know, if they had a stove, that was like a really big advancement. Yeah. No, it is kind of crazy when you realize how far we've come, how quickly. So, all right. Well, we always also want to give you all the chance to respond to questions that we ask via Twitter. So last week, we asked the question, if you could start any small business, what kind of business would you start? So Lee P tweeted at us and said, quote, I would open a mobile interior car detailing business using natural cleaners with essential oils so moms don't have to be grossed out by their kids' spills and messes and can drive in loveliness. Hashtag problematic women. Lee, I could not agree more. I also love essential oils. I think it's a great business idea. Go for it. (laughs) We need more small businesses, and we certainly need more female entrepreneurs. And that's such a problematic woman move to, like, find an issue that you have and want to, like, head-on address it yourself using the free market. I just love it so much. Yeah, it is perfect. It is perfect. All right, so this week's question for Twitter is kind of maybe a little bit of a deeper one, but it's what does courage mean to you? We are in a moment right now in American history where courage is really important. And I think a lot of us might need to be, you know, speaking out or having conversations that would make us feel uncomfortable. And that takes courage. So remember to tweet using the hashtag problematic women. Hey, Virginia, can I just add a quick update? Yeah, of course, Lauren. So I just, you know, not that I whatever multitask while recording the podcast but i just i just googled how much mrs james book would be on amazon and i just bought it one day shipping for 664 so perfect i would just really recommend to go ahead and and buy that i'm just so excited for it to come in tomorrow yeah no it's the perfect read it's super entertaining uh and really really inspiring so Lauren, I'm glad you got your copy. Everyone else, go ahead, get yours. For six bucks. Like, you you can't beat that. So. No, you can't. And it'll arrive in, like, a few days. Hopefully. Amazon's <laughs> been a little wonky recently with all the, all the orders. But. <laughs> I'll be patient. Yeah. Wow, that was such a full show, but that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share conservatives need your support in the podcast world and we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on spotify soundcloud apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast it really does make a difference have a great week problematic women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the heritage foundation it is a product of the daily signal produced by lauren evans and virginia allen 
Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.